Isaiah chapter 30 tonight, Isaiah chapter number 30. You know, I was thinking about the, the group that just sang, and of course, what a beautiful song, what a wonderful message, what a great, timely, of course, reminder. And then, uh, obviously, those guys were accompanied, and so then there's someone that's at the piano that's, that's making the, the, the music that they created with their voice um, even more powerful. And, and then I was just reminded about the number of people like Pastor Burdick was talking about a little while ago that, that are involved in making a church service happen like those that are involved in children's ministry. You know, he mentioned that if you're here at Campus Church, and sometimes I think people assume um, that we're speaking to a certain group when we talk about, you know, ministry opportunities. For example, I think oftentimes because we have, again, um, people that, that are in different circles in campus church, like a student group or then a non-student group, they assume that those announcements are for one or the other. So when he's talking about a meeting for Sunday, um, I think sometimes the non-students think that that's for students, and then sometimes the students think that's not for me, that's for, you know, other people in campus church. But really, it's just for us here at campus church. So whether you're a student or not, that, that would be for you. And you'd be part of the people that he was really highlighting this evening, saying thank you for your ministry. And, and then I was thinking about the technical crew. I was back in, the, in one of the control rooms, and there are, are more than one to make a service happen. And there were new people learning how to do different things that make a service work. And just stepping into a role that they hadn't filled before and and then I was thinking about the people who stood in this pulpit on Sunday. Dr. Adkins, Sunday morning. Dr. Zacharias, Sunday night. And, and then I was thinking about our Wednesday evening orchestra. And I love the fact that so many different parts come together to make a service happen. And then quite honestly, this m might go without saying, but, but all of that serves a larger purpose, and that is for us congregationally to worship the Lord. And so many people go to great lengths to serve so that we can worship. And, and I know we don't say it often and, and clearly not enough, but we, we at Campus Church are so grateful for the people that make it happen. Um, I'm, I'm not going to mention a lot of individuals, but there's a guy that I was thinking of specifically that does just say, I'm, I'm part of this church, and so I want to serve in a way that, that the Lord's gifted me. And he doesn't know I'm going to say this, but it's Alan, and Alan's sitting right here, um, you know, in, in the first chair for the, the strings tonight. And Alan, do you live in Mobile? North of Mobile. Okay, so... He, he is here on a Wednesday night, and he lives north of Mobile. He comes in early for services on Sunday morning because he's in the Rejoice Orchestra on Sunday mornings. And, and it's people like Alan and so many others whose story is repeated, not only here at Campus Church, but in churches literally all across the world that make worship something that, quite frankly, I oftentimes take for granted. So I'm grateful for the many people. I, I had such confidence in what would happen on Sunday, and then when, when I enjoyed watching the services, I just got to participate in another way 
with people that make church work. So just a shout out to the many, you, you know who you are and uh, you're making campus church work through your efforts to serve the Lord. Usually if I write someone a thank you note, I try to say it this way. I usually try to say thank you for how you serve the Lord through your ministry to campus church. Because it really is first and foremost not a ministry to, to us. It's first a sacrifice that we offer to the Lord. And then when we offer it to him, then other people are rightly served. So I was just thinking about it tonight. No other purpose than to recognize the, the great team of people that work at campus church. Okay, your Bibles are open to Isaiah 30. We'll look at it in just a moment. And as we're thinking about what we're about to see in this passage, this is a passage of scripture that I've referenced often, but quite honestly, I have never preached this passage. It's quite an intriguing passage and there is far more to mine from this passage of scripture, Isaiah 30, than we will you know, dig into tonight. But, but it's the first for me to not just reference, but to dig a little bit deeper into a, a wonderfully insightful passage. I'm saying that too to say this would be a good chapter for you. If you're looking for a good chapter to just pull some truths out of, Isaiah chapter 30, wonderful chapter for you to just read devotionally and maybe mark up in your Bible, jot a little phrase down and, and put it someplace digitally or on a sticky note or whatever to remind yourself of because the passage, the chapter is loaded with that kind of content. Um, so in, in prepping our mind for this passage of scripture, most of us can remember times when a mom or a teacher or someone said something to us like, sit still, sit still. Many of you would know this, some may not. Um, how many of you grew up listening to Patch the Pirate? How many of you grew up? Lots of you did. So Ron Hamilton, um, i.e. Patch the Pirate, um, he graduated to heaven this last week. So Ron Hamilton is now in glory, and um, we thank the Lord for, for the, the journey that he had as he followed the Lord. Some of you may remember, if you listen to Patch songs, do you remember the song Wiggle Worm? You know that one? So have you seen a wiggle, have you seen a wiggle worm smaller than a tiny germ? He has such a great big appetite. Everybody, no, I'm just kidding, all right? So. <laughs> Um, let's see, how does that, how does it go from there? He eats more than something, da 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 always looking for someone to bite. And then into the chorus, never. Some of you, is so funny, you're like, wiggle, 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 <laughs> giggle, giggle. Okay, so that's, that's how the song goes. And, and of course, you know, it's just one of those fun kid songs from Patch the Pirate. And probably if you grew up listening to him, there were times when your mom said, you're, um, maybe in church, you know, and um, leaning over and whispering, you know, have you been bitten by the wiggle worm, you know, and sit still. I, I don't know about you physically now, maybe in this day and age for you at this stage, age of life, it's, it's easier to sit still. Okay. Um, for some you'd say, no, it's still a challenge. But I wonder if spiritually it is challenging for you to sit still to just be still. We, we know the biblical admonition, be still. We'll look at that in a few moments. And know that I am God. 
But to just sit still. Over the last few Wednesday nights, we've, we've answered or at least asked a few questions. What to do when God says no? And clearly he does. And then last Wednesday, we talked about the idea of what, what do you do when God says yes? And he does. And, and we ask things of God. And sometimes we're even taken back that God would say yes to our request. But tonight, let's go in one more of those, you know, what do we do when? What do we do when God says, wait? I think there may be some, I don't know, mental closure if God says no, and we know that he said no. We understand it. We get it. God said, no, okay, I, I can move on. I'm going to explore something else. I'll, I'll go down a different path. Lord, okay, you said no. I get it. And then there are times when God says yes. We ask and, and he answers. We knock, the doors open. And we stand back with some kind of amazement that God would say yes to the request that we just offered. And, and he begins to do those things that are God-like. And, and he expands our border and he blesses us in ways that we just look at God and, and find his amazing goodness. But one of the challenging circumstances that we find ourselves in is when God puts us in a holding pattern. When God says, it's time for you to wait. A, a, a preacher of... Days gone by, Phillips Brooks was a, a preacher up in the New England area of the country. He was known for a couple things by people that knew him, heard him preach. He was known for his patience. He was a guy that had poise, calmness. Uh, but people that were in his inner circle also knew that there were times, like it's true with anybody, that he could be irritable and, and frustrated and in one of those moments when one of his close friends found him, he was pacing back and forth. And you could see that he was agitated and he was frustrated about something. And, and one of his friends said, what is the trouble, Dr. Brooks? And Brooks replied with, the trouble is that I'm in a hurry, but God is not. And you know, sometimes our frustration is when we are in a hurry... And God is not. There are times when God does not give the, the clarity of the answer that we are looking for. And that is for us to take, well, he hasn't said yes. He hasn't said no. More often than not, God is just saying to people like you and me, he's saying right now, I want you to wait. In Isaiah chapter 30, the, the book is interesting in that there is a lot of, of what we might call biblical poetry throughout the book of Isaiah. But the, the book takes a turn and it goes to a narrative in Isaiah chapter 30. So now we're, we're getting some story details of circumstances for the people of Israel. We see what happened to them in the northern kingdom. And then people specifically in Judah, even more specifically people in Jerusalem. And what's going on as we pick up this narrative is they are very concerned about the Assyrians that are closing in. And so the answer to Israel is we've got to go find some help in Egypt. 
and let's load up our riches. Let's, let's get some camels and, and get some donkeys and load them with wealth and let's carry it off to Egypt and, and let's get them to agree to the need that we have to supply that they can help us with. And, and so we've got to run and hide underneath the strong arm of Egypt. So often our, our challenge when life seems to intensify and we're pressed and, and now things seem to be closing in, instead of just stepping back and waiting on God, we say, I've got, it's time for me to take matters into my own hand. And if I don't do this, you know, what are the results going to be? I've got to do something. And God is saying instead, just sit still. If your Bibles are open, you, you can look at it with me. I'll put this on the screen. Isaiah chapter 30, verse number 7. Notice what the Bible says here. For the Egyptians shall help in vain and to no purpose. Therefore have I cried concerning this. Their strength is to sit still. Isn't that interesting? Have you ever read that passage just like that before? Okay, you're looking to Egypt to provide something that they are ill-suited to provide. They can't provide what you are asking them to provide. And so God is saying, here's where your strength is going to be found. And it's counterintuitive to the way we think we've got to take care of this matter. And we've got to take care of it now. It just doesn't seem to fit in our mental answer book. But God says, here's where your strength is going to be found. Just sit still. Now, don't use this as an excuse when God says go. I, I think sometimes we try, well, you know, I'm just in a waiting pattern with God. No, I'm, I'm talking about when God has not said do, and he hasn't said yes, he hasn't said no. Here's what God is saying very clearly to his people in Judah. He's saying, hey, sit still. If you look down at verse number 15, for thus saith the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel, in returning, don't, don't head off, don't keep going to Egypt. In returning and rest shall ye be saved. In quietness and in confidence shall be your strength. I wish this last little, you know, forward phrase were not added to the verse, but it is the reality of their situation. And ye would not. Now, he does say, now come on, come back, return. God always leaves this open door for us. Like when, when we get ahead of God and we're taking matters into our own hands, God so graciously says, all right, come on back, rest. This is where you will find your strength. Let's break this down basically into two parts this evening. First of all, let's look at the God who waits. Have you ever thought about that before? The God who waits. Now, we usually say, God, why are you making me wait? And we don't process the reality that God also is a God who does wait. That's found in the passage that we see again. I love this verse of Scripture. In fact, I've referred to it often in different messages. But again, never just to focus on this passage. Look down at Isaiah chapter 30, verse number 18. Notice what the Scripture says here. And therefore will the Lord wait. You see that? And therefore, now we're talking about God. 
God is going to wait. Therefore will the Lord wait. Why? That he may be gracious unto you. And therefore will he be exalted that he may have mercy upon you. For the Lord is a God of judgment. In other words, he separates, he judges things correctly. Blessed are all they that wait for him. The Lord waits and he says, blessed are those that will wait on him. This verse starts out with a therefore. Now, I'm not going to use the old adage, if you see a therefore, okay. What we are going to understand is whenever God inserts the word therefore, he has already built a case. There's nothing arbitrary about God. Um, Now, sometimes, I don't know, maybe maybe, um, like little boys, why did you just do that? I don't know, okay. They throw something, they do something, they kick someone, they do whatever. Why did you do that? I don't know, okay. And that's a reality. Sometimes maybe for you, like, why did you? I don't know. I don't know why I just did that. But that's not God. When we come to God's actions, his doing, therefore, okay, now we've got this whole slew of evidences that God's recorded for us that give the therefore credibility. The therefore, wherever we see it, we're finding that God is saying something. And it's as if God is saying this. You're going to keep trying to solve your problems on your own. So I'm going to wait until you've finished. I'm waiting for an opportunity to be gracious to you. Do you get that? Are you still processing? I know, I know so many in here have a lot on their plate right now and a, a lot on their shoulders. But if you'll process this with me, therefore will the Lord wait. Therefore, like what's he talking about? God's people have been doing this This, this, they've been trying all kinds of things to answer their own problems rather than going to God. So now they're running ahead of God. They're trying to orchestrate their own deliverance, which never works. And God says, okay, because you keep doing this and aren't listening to me, therefore, I'm going to wait for the time when I can pour out my graciousness upon you. Do you see what he's waiting for? He's waiting for them, in a sense, to to kind of come to their senses, to come to themselves. It's not unlike a prodigal son experience, where the father who had been gracious, had been this loving, wonderful father, now is waiting continually just to see the figure of his son crest the hill off in the distance. And then the father who had been waiting now pours out lavish grace. So what is it that God is doing? Well, God is oftentimes waiting so that he may be gracious. Have you, ever, have you ever gone off on a rant about something with somebody before? Like you just went off on a rant. And um, you, I don't know what it's about. And I don't have a, a good a- application for this as far as a good illustration. But somebody just comes in and, they're, man, they're going off on this and this and this and this. And maybe you've done this before. You just are going to town and you've got this thing that's bothering you. And it's as if the person's like, and, and you just keep going. And, and, and you can't get a word in edgewise because they're just going, continually going on whatever it is that they're frustrated with. And then finally, when that person takes a breath, the person can say, by the way, 
the, what you're bothered about, and then they actually answer the very frustration that the person's bothered about. And then they're kind of like, oh, you know. Do you know what God's doing right now? He's waiting for us to, in a sense, finish our foolish rant. He's waiting for us to, in a sense, just be silent before him. We're frustrated, we're trying, we're attempting, and God's saying, I'm waiting. And as soon as you are ready, I will pour out my grace. It's also intriguing that God is promising good in light of the poor choices of his people. I mean, he's, he's just going to keep giving good things, even though his people had made bad mistake after bad mistake. They failed to wait. They weren't sitting still. And yet God still says, I have my grace ready to pour out on you. In verse 18, we won't take time to look at these, but in verse 18, he speaks of his grace and his mercy Verses 20 through 22, he reassures them of his ongoing instruction. He says, listen, I'm going to keep instructing, instructing. I'm going to keep teaching. I'm going to give you teachers. You'll be able to hear them. In verses 23 through 26, he speaks of the blessing of his provision. He says, I've, I've got all this just waiting for you if you will wait on me. But look at verse number 23, Isaiah 30, 23. Then shall he give the rain of thy seed. That thou shalt sow the ground with all and the bread of increase of the earth and it shall be fat and plenteous. In that day shall thy cattle feed in large pastures. What God is saying is I'm waiting for you. I mean, what is it right now that you're trying to accomplish in the place of God? I've got to do this. I have to make this happen. I'm going to, uh, this is what I'm going to accomplish. And we keep pushing and trying and striving. And, and God says, wow, I, I have all of this waiting and ready for you. All of this helps us understand the why of God's wait. Why is he waiting? And the answer, only to be gracious. It's as if God is waiting for us to come to the end of brokenness so that he can come with the beginning of blessedness. Lord, okay, okay, I will sit still. We should be reminded that God always, God always waits for a reason. Remember, there's nothing arbitrary. There's nothing that God is saying, I'm, I'm, I don't know why. God always waits for a reason. And if he is always and only good, this is who he is. He is good. We can understand that his waiting is the same. We don't like it. We want something before God says it's time for you to have it. But remember, if God is always good, he's only good, then the reason he has us in a waiting pattern is equal to himself, and that is good. So clearly, if God is willing to wait, shouldn't we be also? Okay, now let's see the goal of waiting. We understand first the God who waits, what's the goal of waiting? Okay, verse number 15, Isaiah chapter 30. For thus saith the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel, in returning and rest shall ye be saved. In quietness and in confidence shall be your strength. And ye would not. 
Okay, notice a couple things. First of all, I think God's waiting for us to come to a place of silence where we finally just come and are still before the Lord. We note that the word quiet just means this. It means to lie still. Lie still. Okay, one of the goals that God has in waiting is to bring us to a place of quiet confidence in him. Now, some years ago here, I told this story, but it's still pretty fresh in my mind. Um, when I lived in Colorado, there were guys in our church that would go snowmobiling. Now, when I grew up in Michigan and you'd go out on a snowmobile, usually what you'd do is go out on a snowmobile on somebody's cornfield and rip around on their cornfield, okay? And the, the snow is crunchy in Michigan. It's that hard, packable, good snowball kind of snow. And that's where you'd ride a, a, a snowmobile. But in Colorado, it's not the same way. In Colorado, you go up into the mountains and you snowmobile in powder. Um, how many of you have ever gone snowmobiling in powder before? Have you ever done that? Uh, uh, not very many, very few. Usually, the powder that you're going snowmobiling in is five, six, eight, sometimes ten feet deep. You're going up in the mountains and it's powder. The track, the tread on a snowmobile like that has a really long paddle because it's really paddling you through. You learn, I'm not good at it, but I know people who are really good at snowmobiling. When you get on a, a big open meadow at the base of a mountain and you're just kind of floating around, there's something that's almost like water that you get this feel for a snowmobile just cutting through this deep powder. Well, I went at the invitation of some guys in our church, I went to go snowmobiling with them up in the mountains. And again, I'm not good, so I'd stay in pretty safe, meadowy areas because I've been stuck before. I mean, literally buried before um, in a snowmobile. So, so I'd stay in safe places. I'd go in the big open meadow. But if I get on a, a steep side of a mountain, if I get down deep, in, I'm in a lot of trouble. So, so I'd go and I'd play around in the meadow. And, um, and well, while we're up there snowmobiling, one of those Colorado snowstorms catches us. And I mean, it's like blizzard whiteout conditions. Well, I lost the people that I'm out there snowmobiling with. So I'm out there and, and like I'm, I'm literally, I, have, I can't hear them, can't see them. I'm, I'm no longer with them. I did know how to get back to a main trail. So I went back to, followed my way back to the main trail. And then I shut down the, the sled and I can remember I kind of turned around, I'm laying down, I'm all geared up, you know, in a helmet and everything, but I kind of turned around, laid on the seat, put my helmet on the, the steering, the handlebars, and the snow is just coming down like crazy. You can't see, you know, 10 feet away from you. And I'm laying out there in what might possibly be the stillest, most still setting that I've ever been in. It, it was spectacular. I couldn't hear the other guys on their, their snowmobiles. I'm just out there. I'm, I'm getting buried in snow, and, and it's really wonderful, okay? So I'm just laying back, and man, I'm, there's something about nature and the handiwork of God and recognizing his presence that is quite powerful. So there I am, and I'm just enjoying it. I was probably there for, I don't know, 30, 40 minutes. 
just enjoying the stillness, and I didn't move. The worst thing for me to have done at that time was to go looking for those guides. The worst thing for me to do. Uh, they're, they're proficient. They're, they're really good at what they're doing. I'm not. They know how to get back. They know what to do if they're in trouble. I don't. I just went back to what I knew, and I was silent. And, of course, after a while, I hear the little hum of a machine off in the distance. And here they come. It's probably three or four guys. And, um, and when the, the main guy, the guy that invited me, when he comes up and, and he sees me, he says, Oh, man, it's so good to see you. Uh, we, we were so nervous. He says, what happened? I said, I, I don't know. I got separated from you guys. And I just came back to what I knew. And I just waited there. He says, I'm telling you, the, the, that was the smartest thing. That was the thing to do. In conditions like that, that were unfamiliar, how could I know my way? I just went back and was silent, still. You know, sometimes when, when you are in that place of confusion, I think the, the thing we do is we go back to, okay, God, this is what I know. Maybe sometimes when doubt begins to flood your mind, unease, what's next, those things that we just don't have answers to, sometimes we just go back to, God, this, this is the last place I know you are. Have you ever even gotten to the point where some of you might be asking questions like this? I don't even know about my employment anymore. You know, I, I, I don't know. I, I, the circumstances of my job, I just don't know. Here's what I'd say. Go back to your call. What do you know? Sometimes we use our circumstances to determine our call rather than just go back to the simplicity of the call. Some of you are probably wondering right now to speak to another group. Well, I don't know about my, my, my education, my circumstances educationally. I don't know if I'm still supposed to do school. This is hard. This is not what I thought it was. Many times our expectations begin to play with the storm that's going on in our mind. And, and instead of allowing all of, well, I expected this, I expected this. God didn't fill in all the expectations for us. He gives us our call. This is what God called me to do. So we just go back, in a sense, to the last trail that we knew, and we say, okay, God, I'm just waiting on you. What is it that God's trying to do? Well, clearly, there is a God who waits. He's waiting so that he can pour out his grace and his goodness. But there is a goal that God has in mind, and sometimes that's just for us to come to this point of peaceful serenity, waiting on him. Remember his promise, John 14, 18. He says, I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. It's exactly what happened to me when I am out there waiting. They're, they're not going to, you know, those guys that I'm out there in the middle of this blizzard, they're not going to go get back in their truck and say, well, you know, you snooze, you lose. He should have stayed closer, you know. They're coming to find me. Do you know God's saying this? I'm not going to leave you comfortless. I will come to you. Psalm 46.10, we referenced this earlier. Be still. Shh. Know that I am God. What is the goal of waiting? Well, in some way, shape, or form, 
to bring us to a place of stillness or silence. What else? Well, to, to, to bring us to a place of strength. Strength. You say, well, how does, how does that happen? The idea here is that your strength actually comes from your silence. He's saying the real fight against the enemy can't take place, nor the perfect plan of God advance until you return to the place God has called you to and rest in the fact that he is in control. Our strength comes from the place of resting with God, not an endless roaming in search of that which is we have no personal knowledge of. I, I, how in the world am I supposed to navigate this? I've not been this way before. In Isaiah chapter 40, if we fast forwarded some 10 chapters, in Isaiah 40, a, a verse that we could probably, many of us quote, verse number 31, the Bible says, but they that wait upon the Lord shall what? Renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. The word wait here is an interesting one, and it's actually different than the one found in Isaiah 30. The word wait in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 31, carries this idea. Now, it does mean, okay, wait, don't move forward, but there's something happening in the waiting. The word wait in Isaiah chapter 31, it does give this idea of, okay, just linger, pause, but here's what's going on. The word carries this idea of something that starts to be intertwined. Like something starts to wrap itself around one around the other. There is some binding process that takes place in the waiting. They that wait upon the Lord. I'm not going past them, Lord. I'm just silent, still. And what begins to happen? Something starts to happen that now, like, I'm, I'm being bound together with my God. Whose strength do you need? Who has it available? Listen, if I am just still, like, be still. But God, I got so many things in my head right now. I know. Shh, quiet. Just sit still. Meditate. Review. Go back to the last place that you knew where I was calling. Just be still. Do you know what starts to happen when we wait on the Lord? But they that wait upon the Lord, Lord, I'm, I'm waiting, I'm watching, I'm here. What starts to happen is some intertwining of our lives with his. It's as if his strength now becomes our strength. His direction, his grace, his mercy. All of this now, it becomes bound together with me. It's as if when we are waiting, there's something that happens to you and the one you are waiting for, you are being wrapped up together one with another. So what do I do right now as we wrap this up? What do I do right now if I am waiting on God? What do I do? First, simply acknowledge that God is good. Lord, I've been waiting for this for a long time. Okay, did he become something other than good? God, you are good. I acknowledge, I recognize that. Okay, so just acknowledge, God, I don't like to wait. I, I, you know that already, but I do acknowledge that in this waiting, you are doing something that is good. Next, admit your dependence on him. I acknowledge you're good. God, I also admit I'm dependent on you. 
Neither know we what to do. This is what Asa does in 2 Chronicles chapter 14, 11. Asa cried unto the Lord his God and said, Lord, it is nothing with thee to help, whether with many or them that have no power. Help us, O Lord our God, for we rest on thee. In thy name we go against this multitude. O Lord, thou art our God. Let not man prevail against thee. Lord, we're just admitting our dependence on you. Next, ask him to teach you. God, in this waiting time, while I'm just silent and still, God, would you do a work of instructing me? Would you, can I learn something through this waiting time? If you ask him to teach him, then listen while waiting for that still small voice. Here's what God says. Okay, now I'm not going to remove your teachers from you. Some of you are like, oh, I don't know if I want to pray that prayer. Okay, but he says, I'm not going to remove your teachers. And then he says, this is what I'm going to do. Your teachers, they're going to give you good instruction. And then he says this, notice verse number, four, uh, verse number 11. Excuse me. Um, notice verse number 20 and 21. And though the Lord give you the bread of adversity, the water of affliction, this is hard, yet shall not thy teachers be removed into a corner anymore, but thine eyes shall see thy teachers, and thine ears shall hear a word behind thee, saying, this is the way, walk ye in it, when ye turn to the right hand, when ye turn to the left. Lord, would you, can I listen for that still small voice? Lead me in the way I should go. Next, number four, apply what you have been instructed to do. It's one thing to hear the instruction of a teacher. It's a completely other thing to actually do, implement the instruction of the teacher. Isaiah 30, verse number seven, their strength is to sit still. Lord, you're telling me to wait. Okay, I'm going to follow that instruction. I'm going to sit still. Still, down in verse number 15, in returning and rest shall ye be saved. In quietness and confidence shall be your strength. Number five, anticipate his gracious answer. Anticipate, Lord, I'm waiting because I know you're going to have something good for me. I am anticipating your gracious answer. Isaiah 30, verse number 18, blessed are all they that wait for him. How many people are blessed that wait on God? Blessed are all. There, you are not going to be the exception to that rule. Lord, it's hard to wait. I know it's hard to wait. I, I want answers to this. I know. Lord, you removed something and now I'm asking for something. When will you return this? When will you give? The... Wait. What's the result of this person who says, I'm going I'm to be still. Sit still, okay. Quietness, confidence shall be, what do I start to do? I anticipate, there's something good in the mix. Blessed are all they, that's you. Blessed are all they that wait for him. In Lamentations 3, verse 25 and 26, the Lord is good unto them that wait for him. To the soul that seeketh him, it is good that a man should both hope and quietly wait for the salvation of the Lord. In the last verse from our chapter tonight, Isaiah 30, 19. For the people shall dwell in Zion at Jerusalem. These are the people who are going to be overrun by the Assyrians. But God says, no, 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 this is where you're going to be. For the people shall dwell in Zion at Jerusalem. Thou shalt weep no more. He will be. Very gracious unto thee at the cry of thy voice. 
When he shall hear it, he will answer thee. Do you know what it may be tonight? It may be that he is waiting simply to hear the cry of our voice. 